This Week at Hope Point. If the book of Revelation does not bring hope to the people in the first century or the fifth or the tenth or now, and we have to wait maybe 2,000 more years, it's not a very hopeful book. But Amillennial says the kingdom of Christ is now, it's in heaven. Believers who've died do not have to wait for Christ to return and to set up his kingdom. They're with him now. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from God's holy word. Today we continue our study of the most complex, most controversial book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And after 19 uh, chapters, uh, we come to the most controversial chapter in the most controversial book of the Bible, and that would be Revelation chapter 20. It's complicated, uh, some of it because of the way it's written and some of it because of what we've done to it. Um, the discussion today is around uh, chapter 20, it's use of the phrase a thousand years six times. Uh, the word thousand in Latin means uh, millennium, and so that's why when people talk about the book of Revelation, chapter 20, the millennium, that's where they are getting their information from, that use of a thousand and the word for millennium in Latin. Before we get into the details of the book which I, or chapter, which I think are important, what I want to do is just read the chapter. Because if there's any great mistake in Revelation, it should be a lot more just read than it should be taught. It's the reading of the word of Revelation is where you are encouraged in your faith. If you're new here today, I want to tell you that what we're going to read is uh, the final vision of one of Jesus' disciples. He's been having vision after vision of how Satan is working in the world to try to stop the mission of the church and how Christ, who's reigning in heaven, is protecting the church and will bring evil to an end. And that is sort of summarized in one giant statement in chapter 20. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who's the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss, locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. Sure, I stop there. So, first part's pretty easy. Uh, John sees a vision of an angel, has in one hand a key, one hand a chain. He imprisons Satan, binds him for a thousand years. Satan is not allowed to deceive. At the end of that time, he is released. Verse 4. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshiped the beast or its image, had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So in these verses, uh, John is talking about a group of people who resisted not just Satan, but his earthly, demonic organizations called the beast and the false prophet, 
because of their loyalty to Jesus and their refusal to bow uh, to culture and to the organizations that culture uses, they were killed, they were beheaded, and they are now with Christ in heaven. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So in this part of the vision, John sees a group of people who were not followers of Christ, and therefore they were not raised as these Christians were raised to be with Christ at this time. And John makes a big deal in verse 6 this is this, this being raised to Christ during this first time, following Christ, even if you're killed, it's important because you're blessed to be part of this first resurrection. Then he tells why. If you're part of the first resurrection, you're not going to be part of the second death. Get that. It's a major principle this weekend, next week. If you're part of the first resurrection, you will not be part of the second death. All of us know what the first death is. It's our physical death. And in fact, we say the greatest enemy in the world is death. Nothing brings heartache to our lives and our families like death. It doesn't matter whether it's disease or an accident or war uh, or um, plagues, natural disasters. Nothing breaks our heart as death. And yet, the book of Revelation says there is something to come that is far worse than death referred to as the second death. If you're part of the first resurrection, you miss the second death. What is the second death? We'll look at it next week. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown in the lake of fire. So now you understand why John would be so uh, urgent in saying, blessed are those who have part in the first resurrection. Let's keep reading. Chapter seven, uh, verse seven, when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison, will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle in number. They are like the sand on the seashore. That's how many they are. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city that God, God loves. So here at the end of the thousand years, we see that Satan, who had been bound, imprisoned, chained, was released, goes out, deceives the nations, and they try one more time to destroy the church. So before I say anything about the controversies related to chapter 20, let's just find some common ground. What do we agree on of chapter 20? And there's two things. We agree <clears throat> that the... Ultimate destiny of the church is reward. That no matter how you die, what you lose, what you have to suffer, Revelation 20 made it clear those who died are with or will be with Christ. We agree on that. Second thing we agree on in Revelation 20, the ultimate destiny for Satan is destruction. At the end of the thousand years, he's going to be released. He knows he's going to be destroyed. He's not trying to stop his destruction. His determination is to bring as many people with him from earth into his destruction. Twice in Revelation 20, he was described as the deceiver. 
So Satan is like a man who owns a house and the homeowner invites a lot of people over to his house that evening, knowing while the party is going on, the house will burn down. So he knows he's gonna be destroyed. His purpose, therefore, is to bring as many people with him from earth into that destruction. And he does it through deception. He does it by persuading people to believe that sin is normal and exciting and that righteousness is strange and boring. And he deceives people all the way into eternal fire. So that's where we agree on Revelation now, 20. This is where we begin to differ. We differ two questions about Revelation 20 that cause people to have all sorts of questions. When will the millennial reign of Christ take place? When will a thousand years occur? And where will the millennial reign of Christ? That's what causes people to divide into three different camps. And these are the three camps. There's a premillennial view of Christ's kingdom. There's an amillennial view and a postmillennial view. Now, at this point in the sermon, you might be saying, Rich, oh my goodness, you were on such a roll. You read gorgeous verses and made two clear points. The church will be rewarded. Satan will be destroyed. You could have stopped. True. And it would have been good and fine had I done that. But there might be something better, and that is if I introduce you, I think education teachers, people call this build a barn, new barn in your head, so that you, these terms will not be unfamiliar to you, because I'm telling you, anytime people start talking about the end of times, they're going to ask you, you pre-mill, all-mill, post-mill, if you can at least heard these, then you can think about the rest of your life of which camp you are a part of. Um, so it's language that people use and it's how they identify themselves. Like this afternoon, people say, I'm a Cowboys fan. That's who I am. I'm a Packers fan. They identify themselves. They wear green stuff if they're a Packers fan. They wear jerseys and it says Favre on the back. And so this is how people live who discuss the end of times a lot. They identify themselves as post-mill, mill or pre-mill. So I think it'll help you be familiar with these terms. And I think it's going to help you. The reason I'm doing this, number one, it's, I had to teach this to get through the book. Number two, by teaching it, I think you will understand better at the end of the sermon, what is the best way to read the book. And I think the description of these will help you, help you get there. So if you will commit to me to stay with me until the end of the book, and I'd like to signify that by blinking, thank you, you'll be with me to the end of the book. And let me say this right now. Boy, did I stir up some conversation after first service in the lobby. <laughs> and I loved it. God did not give us the book of Revelation for us to divide over it. I'm gonna share with you an opinion, an interpretation I have of Revelation 20 that causes me to worship Christ, to be comforted by him the most, and my conscience is committed, devoted, that this is the best way for me to interpret it. Um, but uh, you're gonna to have to decide for yourself. And this is all I ask. 
All I ask is that you do not come in here with your guns preloaded theologically and that when I tell you something, that your response is, I can't believe that because of my denominational handbook will not permit it, which is where most people lie with Revelation. They've never read the book, never studied the book, and, and they have opinions about the book. I just want you to read it and you formulate your own conviction. All right, now let's look at what those three complicated words are. Premillennialism. This is at the second coming of Christ, he sets up a thousand year kingdom with the millennium on this earth. That's key. Understand that for that definition. Christians will be raised from their graves and reign with Christ over this earth. Satan is imprisoned for a thousand years and then released to lead the world in a final failed rebellion against the church on this earth. So all premillennial uh, talk has to do with this, a kingdom of Christ on this earth. So why is it called pre? Because Christ comes back before the thousand years. That's help you understand that. Why is it called pre? Christ comes back before, prior to the thousand years. Second coming, then the thousand years for pre-meals. Post-meals. The witness of the church will be so strong that the world will be ruled by righteous conduct. Christ returns after. So post. So this view says, we as the church will do such a great job of witnessing and caring and living out holy lives that actually the entire world, most of the world will be transformed and become righteous, that we will usher in the kingdom and then Christ comes to sit on the throne of the kingdom that we establish by our, our efforts. And then last, amillennialism. Christ will not establish a physical kingdom on this earth. He is reigning now in heaven so see, I told you when and where are the problem. Amil says, um, where his kingdom will not be on this earth. When his kingdom will not be in the future, it's now. It's just in heaven. He is reigning now in heaven and fulfills his purposes of bringing people into his kingdom through the preaching, witnessing, and missionary efforts of the church. Before I tell you where I land, let me just tell you this one thing again to persuade you to stay with me till the end. You say, why? It's too complicated. Uh, it's too hard. I'm not going to do it because it's too hard. And I just want to tell you, what other field of life, whatever, where you work or whatever you're about, do you get to say, I'm not going to do it because it's hard? Would you think that a doctor coming into you, you have some random infectious disease, you're in the hospital, 104 fever, and the doctor says it could be one of 50 things, I'm not looking it's too hard to find that disease. So you don't get to do that in your work. You're gonna tell your boss, too hard. But we do that with God. We say it's too hard. No, it's hard. It's not too hard. So let's do that together. Um, let's start with post-millennial. Let me show those to you again. Uh, post-mill right in the middle. We're gonna usher in righteousness all over earth and then Christ comes back. Well, 
Not many people believe that anymore because of how bad the world's getting and that it looks, turns out to be that that was easier to believe when the church, when the world was a little bit more pure in the early 19th, 20th century. Not really many people believe that anymore. So we reject that pretty quick. The church is not bringing in a righteous world. So that leaves us with premillennialism. So now this is what I was taught. This is what I grew up with. And so when you, I didn't change till 1984. I grew up with this. Um, someone asked me the other day, he said, do you think you could ever change back to premillennialism? And I said, well, you know, maybe the next time when I teach through the book of Revelation, which will be never, <laughs> maybe I could. But since I'm not doing that, I'm probably... Let me share with you three reasons that I'm not a premillennialist. Number one, the world that was judged in Revelation 19 will not be present to rebel in Revelation 20. So when I read to you, I think I may have left that slide out. I think I skipped right by it, but I want to tell you, at the end of Revelation 20, verses seven through 10, uh, Satan persuades the world to rebel after the thousand-year kingdom, Satan persuades the world to rebel against Christ. That's pre-male view, chapter 20. But if you read Revelation chapter 19, the world is gone at this point. Revelation 19, this is a return of Christ. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice, he judges and wages war and everybody's wiped out. And then an angel gives a command to these birds to clean up the mess. And to the command of the birds, you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty uh, of horses and their riders and the flesh of all people. So in Revelation 19, Everyone on earth is destroyed, unbelievers, at the return of Christ. So there can't be a rebellion of people at the end of chapter 20 because there are no people left. It's my first problem with premillennialism. Is there anything else I want to say on that? One second. Yeah, I do want to say one thing before I move on. One more thing about under that category of why I reject pre-meal. Um, I struggle with a pre-meal view that if Christ sets up a kingdom, a brand new type of kingdom, he returns to earth, sets up a kingdom, He's never been here before like that. Most pre-mill people believe his kingdom would be in Jerusalem. So Christ is reigning on earth for a thousand years, yet the world is still so rebellious against him that at the end of those thousand years, he still does not control the world and the majority of the world rebels against him. If the world can become that rebellious in those thousand year in that thousand year period, it doesn't feel like a beautiful thousand year millennium that I want to be a part of. It means sin still exists. It's still growing. 
And if Jesus is going to destroy everybody at the end of the millennium, it means that death on earth still exists. So I don't think that's a very beautiful concept of the great millennium of the rule of Christ that sin still exists and death still exists. It's one of my problems with millennialism, premillennialism. Number two, why I'm not premill, nowhere in the Bible do you read about a thousand year reign of Christ on this earth. Revelation 20 is the only time where you'll read about a thousand year reign of Jesus Christ. It's the only place in the Bible where this mysterious wording is used. It doesn't mean, and don't believe it, but it does mean that you probably do want to look elsewhere to see if the Bible can help you interpret the Bible. So a lot of people will say, no, 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 no. I, there's, the Old Testament speaks about the golden era that's coming in Isaiah 60, 66, and Ezekiel also. But 60, 66 is where you've got those beautiful uh, verses about the lion will lay down with the lamb and the child will play with the cobra and not get hurt. And the other prophets that people beat their swords into plows. It's just bliss. So people say, yep, there it is. Nope. Those chapters are talking about what is going to occur on the new, he the new earth that Jesus Christ creates after he destroys this earth. When we read Revelation 21 and 22, we're going to see references back to Isaiah 60 and Ezekiel 40. Those, this time of bliss is on the new earth, not on this, this present earth. When Jesus Christ returns to this planet, he is not interested at all in hanging around on an earth that has done nothing but create heartache for humanity. When he comes back, to this earth, he is ready in an instant to destroy it because of what it's done to all of us. Second Peter 3, 10, again, let the Bible interpret the Bible. Revelation 20 may be confusing, this is not. But the day of the Lord, always a reference to his return. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, it's gonna be quick. The heavens will disappear like a roar, with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Everything will be destroyed. That day, when Christ returns, will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. When Jesus is coming back, he's not gonna come back and allow death and sin to linger a thousand more years on this cursed earth. He's burning it up. And so he can make for us a new heaven and a new earth. And this will happen in the blink of an eye. First Corinthians 15, for Jesus must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. 
The last enemy to be destroyed is death. We will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, and we will be changed. Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Jesus Christ, one of the main reasons he's done all that he has in history is to defeat and eliminate death. So he's not going to put that on Paul's for 1,000 years. When he returns, it will be an instantaneous defeating of death. Third reason I'm not pre-male, neither the teachings of Jesus nor the writings of Paul speak about a delay in judgment when Christ returns. I have several references here. You can look at them later on the slides. You know we're always on the notes page of the, of the sermon notes on the website. But 2 Thessalonians 1.7 says, This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. This happens when he comes back, not a thousand years later. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day that he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. Nowhere in the Bible is there a reference that would support Christ comes back and then he's gonna wait a thousand years before executing judgment on Satan, his followers, and on, and on death. So now let's, I told you why I'm not post-meal, why I'm not pre-meal, which obviously tips the hat that I'm amillennial in my understanding of Revelation 20. And let me just tell you once again what I mean by that. Amillennial, somebody like me would believe this. Christ's kingdom is now, not future, and it's in heaven, never to be established physically on earth. Believers who have died are with him, Now, because his kingdom is in heaven, because Christ lives in heaven, so they are in heaven. Earth will be affected by Christ from heaven through the preaching, witnessing, and missionary efforts of the church. But we're not going to establish a physical kingdom of Christ through that. We're getting people prepared to live with him in heaven. So now you have the right to ask, how in the world did you get your view from Revelation 20? And here's how I did it. Um, I first eliminated what Revelation 20 cannot be teaching. It cannot be teaching pre-mill. It cannot say that Jesus is coming and there is then a thousand year kingdom where death and sin will still uh, exist. No other portions of scripture support that. So once I eliminate that, I say, well, what does chapter 20 then mean? Well, then I have to, I have to solve it this way. And this happened for me in 1984 when my New Testament professor said, I beg you, just read the book of Revelation as if nobody had ever told you anything about what to believe. Rather than bring in David Jeremiah's books, rather than bringing in your pastor's books, rather than bringing your denomination books, just read it. And when I read it, um, 
I understood the big picture. And I think, to be honest with you, I don't want to sound condescending, but until you understand the big picture, the scope of 22 chapters, you will never understand any of the details in the book. You can't start with details like the millennium until you understand the big picture. I mean, you could say it like this. If I showed you a red puzzle piece and a yellow puzzle piece and asked you to, you know, to figure out what they mean, you would be lost until I showed you the cover of uh, the box of, of all the puzzle pieces. You say, well, that red's going to go with the barn and yellow's going to go with that maple tree in New England. Until you get the big picture, you can't know what the details are talking about in Revelation. Here's the big picture of Revelation. Christ rules the world from heaven. The mission of Christ on earth is carried out through the church. Satan is bound in the sense that he persecutes the church but cannot stop the spread of the gospel. This was the big discussion I had if there were 250 people in the first service, there were 250 questions on that. What do you mean he's bound? He's bound in the sense he cannot stop the mission of the church. Not bound in the sense he cannot do anything. Fourth, believers who lose on earth to persecution and death are rewarded in heaven. And history concludes as Christ destroys evil and rewards his church in, in heaven. So that's the big picture. Now, here's why I want you to begin reading the book of Revelation differently. That story that I just told you is told at least four distinct times in the book of Revelation. I mean, four times the entire story of humanity. Suffering and the world comes to an end. Suffering of the church, the world comes to an end, believers in heaven. Four different times. So the book of Revelation is not written in a linear fashion. It's written with themes that are told over and over again. This is called, I think, let's see, did I put that up there? Uh, all right, here's the, or I, I think I shared with you this a few months ago. Read Revelation as if you're watching the same football game, but it's, it's, it's now you're watching it each time from a different camera angle. Same story. John is not introducing new information to us. This is where I'm getting at it in the sermon. Revelation 20 is not new information. We've seen it before, and I'll show you in a minute. So this is called recapitulation, which means when a story is told over and over again, and we, you say, why would John tell the same story over and over again? Do you not need that? I mean, what if it would have just ended in chapter seven when all the believers are in heaven, which they are? So over and over again. So here's a good example. Revelation 20, the binding of Satan. We've already seen that in Revelation 13 or the binding and the release of Satan when the false prophet or the beast mortally wounded and came back to life. So this concept of evil is bound, but it will be released in a fierce way at the end of time We've already seen that. That's all Revelation 20 is about. Telling us what we've already seen. Satan is bound, but in the end of time, he will be released to be more fierce than ever. 
Revelation 20 is not telling us anything new. We've already seen it multiple times in, in the book. Say it this way. Five different times in the book of Revelation, we come to the final battle of earth. I mean, at the end of chapter 16, 12 through 14, that's where we first read the word Armageddon. We said, well, that's the end of the world. Then all of a sudden, there's the same battle as told at the end, 17, 14. Same battle as told in 18 and 19 and 20. Same battle, five camera angles. So when you read Revelation 20, you're not reading about a new battle. You're reading about the battle that you just read in chapter 19 where the beast and the false prophet are thrown in the fire and then in chapter 20, we find out that Satan is thrown in the same fire. Same battle, just new information, new camera angle. If you learn to read and understand that the, the book of Revelation recapitulates, tells the same story over and over again, you'll stop trying to say this happens after that, this happens after that, this happens after that. Big picture, think big picture. So why does all this matter? Two things. The binding of Satan in Revelation 20 is huge. Satan is bound now. It's the only reason you're alive, only reason this church exists Satan cannot stop the advance of the gospel worldwide because he's bound. Not powerless. He's just unable to stop the mission of the church. When does he get released in Revelation 20? At the end of history. We've seen that over and over again in the book. John tells us over and over again, at the end of history, things get worse, more fierce, but the gospel is advancing. I think I read the other day some, I don't know, 20,000 people a day receive Christ around the world because Satan cannot stop the mission of the church. You say, well, how, why would you interpret it like that? That's what binding means because of what Jesus told his disciples when they went on their first preaching mission and they came back and they said, Jesus, my goodness, we saw the power of God destroy evil everywhere, heal people, raise them from the dead. Set them free from lies. And Jesus said to them, shoot. He didn't say that. <laughs> oh, this is it. Okay, let me just read this. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven having the key to the abyss. So Revelation 20, that's the binding of Satan, which Jesus referred to in Luke 10 when the disciples were out preaching. And he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. So ever since Jesus was on earth in his cross, his miracles, his teaching, his, his resurrection, that was the binding of Satan. That was the release of the Holy Spirit. The church's mission cannot be defeated and that's how Satan is bound. Jesus alludes to it. That's all John is talking about in chapter, in chapter 20. One more time we see this. We've already seen this in Revelation Revelation 11 and 12, God promises to protect the church for three and a half years. People want to make a big deal of these, these numbers. If the apostle John were here, I think he would say, don't worry about my numbers. I just felt pretty wild that day. <laughs> You're not going to figure it out. I've read the books. 
I grew up like you did. Three and a half years, you can read in those things. Those three and a half years represent the entire time from the time of Christ to the return of Christ. And in that three and a half year period, those two chapters say the church will be protected and its mission will be accomplished. Then John tells us the same thing in Revelation 20. The same thing we saw, I've already seen. Recapitulate over and over again. All right, second reason. This is why I ask you to stay to the end. This is why it matters to me. Why does all this matter? Christ's loving reward of believers who have suffered death on earth. Let's just read this glorious verse again. I saw thrones in which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus. And because of the word of God, they came to life and reigned with Jesus a thousand years. If your view of Revelation 20 is premillennial, then remember what premillennial means. Christ returns and sets up a kingdom on earth where believers who have died are raised to life and reign on that kingdom. If you're premillennial, that at the end of verse four has not happened yet to those that you love. If you're premillennial, you've already said that happens in the future. Because Revelation 20 says, Christ comes, kingdom is established for a thousand years, and they reign on that. If you are an amillennialist like me, you say the kingdom of Christ is now, not in the future. And Christ is reigning in heaven, and the believers that you, that have died, that you love, are there now. And amillennial gets to believe that that the kingdom is now and the kingdom is in heaven. They are raised to life, not their bodies, but their souls, their personhood, personality. Exactly what Paul told us in 2 Corinthians 5, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord Good amillennial view. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Exactly what we read there. This is talking about the kingdom of Christ in heaven and believers who've died on earth now are with him. They don't have to wait. This is not the first time we've seen Christ's tender love of how he takes care of believers who've died on earth. He told us this at the beginning of the book. Revelation 3.21, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So he's writing to believers who suffering and dying. Just think about what it was like to be part of the first century church. The government was powerful. It came in, confiscated your property, arrested your friends, put to death your church members, family members, and... Can you imagine John, the apostle, writing to these people and saying, I'm a premillennialist. Don't worry. The people that you loved, that you just saw martyred, don't worry. Christ is coming in 2,000 years to set up a, a kingdom in Jerusalem. And when he does, your loved ones will be raised with him then. 
If the book of Revelation does not bring hope to the people in the first century or the fifth or the 10th or now, and we have to wait maybe 2,000 more years, it's not a very hopeful book. But Amillennial says, the kingdom of Christ is now, it's in heaven. Believers who've died do not have to wait for Christ to return and to set up his kingdom. They're with him now. The reason I think the amillennial view of Revelation is, is right is it gives present hope to present grief. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. And interesting, just so you can know, Richard, you, have we seen this before? Well, I wouldn't tell you if we did. Yeah, this is not new. Revelation 20, believers with the Lord. We saw them, they're with the Lord in chapter seven and they're with the Lord in chapter 14, so we're not surprised in a book that repeats itself all the time, they're with the Lord in chapter 20. That millennial reign in chapter 20 is the, is the reign of chapter seven, chapter 14. They're with Christ now. now. Let me close with this. People ask me all the time, what does it mean to sit with Christ on his throne? And here is my deep theological answer is, I don't know and I don't care. When our grandson Wells, um, oh, there he is. When our grandson Wells gets tired and wants to crawl up in Lisa's lap on her throne, he doesn't ask her, what are we gonna do? He doesn't care. He just wants to be held. Now, Revelation 2 does talk about some pretty cool things we get to do. But I don't care. I'm not thinking about that. This is what I'm thinking about. I am with the King who created me. I am with the Savior who died for me. I am with the most loving, powerful, beautiful being in the world. And He is holding me and He is gonna hold me for far more than a thousand years. He's gonna hold me forever. On His throne, I will be, and that's all I need to know. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.